0: Hello, everyone. This is Alex Barthet with the LeanZone.com podcast. Today, we're going to talk about dangerous bond forms, payment and performance bond forms that you should really think twice about signing and what you can do to avoid them. And today we have Sean Burton with Nielsen Bonds. How are you doing today, Sean?
1: Everything's great. Good morning.
0: So tell us a little bit about yourself, Sean, and what you do.
1: Yes, hi, my name is Sean Burton. I work for Nielsen Hoover Associates in uh, Miami Lakes, Florida. We are surety bond specialists. We provide bid bonds and performance and payment bonds for all types of contractors. I've been writing bonds for contractors in South Florida since 1996.
0: 96? Wow. You don't look that old, Sean.
1: You know, father time has been kind.
0: So let's let's dive right in. All right. So I'm a contractor. I want to get a bond. I'm, I'm a bonded contractor. I, I want to uh, get a job. I come to you and I say, okay, Sean, I am considering this job. Um, what are some of the things you look for when a contractor comes to you with a bond form that is given to them which i guess let's let's back up a little bit uh, i'm assuming that's the way it normally happens right the, the the con the contractor you bond is given the bond form that the owner or contractor wants them to issue correct
1: that is correct so yeah So what do you, you look for out, when you
0: get that bond
1: here's how that works uh if you have a contractor a lot of times we'll see this in the private sector uh, but we'll see in the public sector also But whether they are, if a contractor is negotiating a subcontract with a general contractor or a a prime contractor is negotiating a contract with a public owner, when the contractor comes to us for the performance and payment bond, our performance and payment bond will guarantee the terms of that contract. And if the owner has their own bond form, their own performance and payment bond form they want us to use, we have to prepare the bond on that form. OK, now, a lot of times in the public sector, various municipalities will use standard AIA performance and payment bond forms, which we like, which we prefer. Most of the time in the public sector, local city governments use a standard AIA performance and payment bond form, which is fair language. It's a level playing field. It's fair for all parties. And that's what we prefer to use. Right. Right. However, there are times when a general contractor or even a public owner will draft their own bond form, and it will contain language that is unacceptable to the surety.
0: So let's 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 break down what are some of the key problems that you and the surety see. I mean, and, and I'll share with you the things that I see, but I know that there's one really hot button issue that that. Uh, drives you and the sureties nuts. And what
1: is that? Right. Now, th- th- what I should do is explain what is a performance of payment bond supposed to do? What's it geared for? Right. Our performance bond is really designed to guarantee that the contractor will perform the scope of the work on time as per the specs of a contract. We simply guarantee the contractor will install the infrastructure as it's supposed to be installed and our performance bond will guarantee the workmanship for one year. That's it. Our bond is not designed to be a warranty product. Our bond is designed to to provide a a guarantee the contractor will, will finish the work on time, basically. And the payment bond will guarantee the contractor will pay any subcontractors or suppliers on the job. That's the basic idea of a performance and payment bond. However, what these general contractors and municipalities have done is they've thrown a lot of extra language into the bond form that tries to get the bond to do much more than it's designed to do. And the the, 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 the hot topic you're talking about, the, the main one is consequential damages. Now, every, Every contractor typically has some liquidated damages in their contract. If the contractor is, doesn't finish the scope of work on time, the contract will say, well, you they they can impose liquidated damages every day until the job is finished. Maybe it's $1000 a day, or maybe it's $5000 a day. Liquidated damages are normal and definable. So the contractor says, "Well, if I don't finish this job within 6 months, <clears throat> then I know that I'm going to have liquidated damages of about $1,500 a day, $1,000 a day, and we can underwrite that. We can gauge for it. We can prepare for it. It's definable. Okay. However, consequential damages is not a definable term. Basically, uh, if the contractor does not finish the work on time for whatever reason and it causes other consequential delays and other consequential damages. The contractor can pin those damages on our contractor, whether it's right or wrong. And suddenly it's not a definable term. So we don't know what those damages are.
0: So, so let's, you know, one, one of the things we could do is we could give an example. Let me give an example, right? So yep. if, if, if I am a subcontractor and I'm build, I'm the plumber, for example, on a, a hotel, Mm-hmm. And if I'm liable for consequential damages, then some of the things that I would be responsible for if I don't live up to my obligation. And therefore, if the surety is liable for consequential damages, they would include things like the staff that was hired and is now sitting idle because the hotel isn't open. The six events that were previously scheduled where deposits were taken um, and now the hotel isn't open. So that that event can no longer happen. So therefore, there's lots and lots of damages that can flow um, if you just leave it as consequential damages. It's like a blank check, right?
1: That is correct. You know, uh, any type of lost revenue, missed receipts, missed events. That hotel says "Hey, we 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 missed millions of dollars of revenue because Mister Plumber." didn't have the plumbing package installed on time. And yes, the GC could turn around and impose those, all those consequential damages upon the plumber and they have no recourse and the surety has to come in and address that. And really the surety only wants to remedy based on the penal sum of the bond. The plumber, the plumber in your case, maybe they have a contract for a million dollars. The performance and payment bond is based on the contract amount of a million dollars. So when the surety underwrites that, they feel their risk is a million dollars. If the plumber doesn't perform, the plumber doesn't pay, the most surety would have to pay out would be the, the penal sum of the bond, which would be a million dollars. But it, however, if the GC tries to impose consequential damages, that million dollar claim could turn into several million dollars. And there's no way to underwrite that. The surety is not collecting premium for that. So it causes a big problem when consequential damages appear in the bond form and or the subcontract.
0: So the question is, now we've defined the problem. What's the what's the solution? And and I know it's a hard solution because we've talked about it before.
1: Well, there's no silver bullet. But things like we're doing today, educating people and getting the word out uh, to let contractors know that, you know obviously, before you sign a construction contract, you want to have proper legal counsel review that contract for everything from warranty provision, completion times, you know d- damages, et cetera. And part of that is looking at the performance and payment bond form to see if that form contains erroneous language. So the best thing a contractor can do before they even bid a job to a city, or before they get pre-qualified with a general contractor, let's start with their bond forms and their contract language. So if I'm talking to a HVAC mechanical, plumber, drywall, a roofer, whoever, and they say, Sean, hey, we're thinking about bidding work to XYZ Construction. Well, we know XYZ Construction, and we know that they have a bad bond form. So what I would tell that contractor is, look, before you even consider even the bidding work to them, you need to negotiate the contract language up front, have your legal counsel review the contract and the bond forms and to uh, negotiate the best language they can get. And if the general contractor or owner is refuses to remove consequential damages, we strongly recommend contractors walk away because uh, there's a very good chance, unless that contractor has a really strong balance sheet there's a very good chance the surety will not be able to write the bond on that bond form. Uh, what I would tell the contractor is, look, yeah, you qualify for this million dollar bond. No problem. However we can only provide that bond on a standard AIA bond form or the, the owner would have to remove or amend the bond form language to remove consequential damages and consequential damage is only one of the provisions. There's several others that we can talk about. Um, one would be uh, the, sh- the surety waves the uh, the notice of any changes. If your plumber is working for the XYZ construction and suddenly XYZ construction wants to make changes to the subcontract agreement whether it has to do with payment terms whether it has to do with the scope of work uh, uh, etc because the surety has a bond in place you know they need to know if there's change is made to that contract. The surety is guaranteeing the terms of that contract. So the surety is just not going to waive their right to any notice of change. For example, if your plumber's got a million dollar plumbing package, suddenly XYZ wants to increase that to $4 million. (laughs) Well, the surety needs to know about that because the surety has to guarantee that extra work and perhaps that plumber doesn't qualify for a $4 million plumbing package. So any significant changes to the contract language, uh, contract amount, scope of work, et cetera, of course, the surety needs to know about that. And if-, if- You
0: know, one of, the, one of the things you mentioned, Sean, is the idea that the surety may not actually write the bond form for you. So, you know, that, that'll put you as a contractor in a really difficult position, right? So if you get a bid bond, especially if you get a bid bond- and then you sign a contract and then you go to your surety and say, okay, please issue this bond form. And the surety says, we're not issuing this bond form. You now have a contract that obligated you to provide a bond on that bond form. And now Correct. you don't have a surety that's willing to give it to you. You're technically in out, breach of the contract.
1: Yeah, Then we'll have to go out and talk to, you know, we represent 80 bonding companies. So we'll go out and talk to a dozen other underwriters and say, look, I've got a plumber here. Uh, with a million dollar contract, but the incumbent surety won't support it on the bond form. So then we have to convince a new surety to come on board with a new relationship with a new subcontractor, support them on a bad bond form. And that is nearly impossible. And again, if the plumber has a really strong balance sheet, good, strong cash position, good equity, you know, very uh, financially solvent, you know, sometimes depending on the surety, they will write the bond on the form containing consequential damages. They figured, well, if the surety figures, if the, sh- if the contractor takes a hit, if the contract gets sideways, they can sustain the hit, right? So there are exceptions made and bonding companies will write bonds that contain consequential damages on the bond form, but not for the smaller guys, not for smaller subs. So what happens is the smaller contractors get pushed out and then the GC or the public owner only is dealing with larger contractors, which means they're going to receive larger bids. And the GC or the public owner are, are missing out on competition and it'll eventually cost them more money. So when a GC or a public owner makes a bond form impossible to write on, they are precluding a whole section of, of contractors from, from bidding work to them. And that contractor or public owner is only going to receive bids from larger contractors with larger bids. And the taxpayers suffer. The municipalities have to pay up more money. And that's what ends up happening when you have erroneous bond forms.
0: You know, one of the things that I have found is that um, many clients believe that when they get a contract, that, that there's no way that they can change it. They can't change that comma to a semicolon. They don't even bother looking at the bond form. They focus solely on the price schedule and scope of work, and they leave all the legal terms as is. And I'm here to tell you, having done this now for more than 20 years, every contractor um, in your market will tell you, we don't make changes to our contract or our bond form, but they actually do. Of course, Um, they all do. I'm sure you have specific examples of contractors that have told your clients we don't make changes and you have specific examples of them making changes for other clients of yours, right?
1: No question. Absolutely. A lot of times a general contractor will tell the subcontractor, Hey, it's standard (laughs) language. Everyone's signing it. Everyone's doing it, right? That's what they all say. But in reality, no, that's not accurate. It's like it's
0: like a, it's like high school peer pressure all over again. Right.
1: C- correct. They say, well, every, you know, the, the, the air conditioning contractor gave us the bond on their form. You know, they, they'll, they'll say anything they, they want. But in Florida, surety, you know, we represent everybody. Travelers, Hartford, CNA, Liberty Mutual, you know, all, the list goes on down. Big bonding companies, little bonding companies. And for the most part, bonding underwriting is the same across the board. I mean, it's a little different for smaller subs versus larger GCs, etc. But they're all looking at the same thing. They're looking at the balance sheet, they're looking at the profitability, looking at experience, looking at credit scores. The body company wants to make sure the contractor has the experience, proper personnel, and the uh, wherewithal to get the work done. And they also want to make sure they're financially solvent, good credit scores, healthy balance sheet, etc. It's all the same, no matter, uh, you know, with a few variables. So, and part of that is the bond form. So when the, when the underwriter looks at the bond form, they, they may reject it. And if they do reject it, we have to go back to the owner and say, look, here's exactly what the bonding company says. We'll write this bond. The contractor qualifies for the bond, but we cannot write it on this bond form and here's why. And it will spell out the reasons on the bond form. And when the contractor gets enough pushback, then they hear it from enough of their sub- subcontractors Eventually, they start making concessions, usually. Also, the more specialized the trade, which is, you know, we all know the labor pool right now, it's, it's tough right now, it's a tough labor market. So, the general contractors are having challenges finding qualified subs to get the work done. That gives a subcontractor more leverage when they're negotiating the terms. So, the, the more specialized the subcontractor is, or when there's fewer subcontractor base out there, the, the, it does give the subs more leverage and more power to negotiate terms and i've seen that on the private sector especially you'll have these developers and general contractors that have these really bad bond forms and and then they then they start getting pushback from all the subs saying look uh, my surety won't agree to this form they'll hold that from the painter they'll hold it from the, the concrete sub they'll hear it from the the drywaller. And suddenly developers like, wow, if we don't collect all these bonds from our subs and we may have trouble with our financing, uh, we have to make some concessions so we can get the, the, the bonds in place. A lot of time developers will do that. A general contractor will do that. They'll The general, general contractor won't post a bond to the owner, but they'll ask all their subcontractors to post post bonds. So that way they're leveraging the subcontractor surety program so the GC can get their financing with the bank or or appease uh, the owner. But if the subcontractor bonds aren't flowing in, uh, then they'll start making concessions. They'll remove consequential damages. Uh, That's typically the first one they'll start with. If you tell the GC or the owner, look, you've got to remove consequential damages, period. That's it. We draw the line in the sand with that. If you don't remove consequential damages, we're out. And typically, they will remove it, not always, but I'd say eight out of 10 times, they will remove it. And then you can focus on the other things, like, uh, you know, surety waiving notice of changes. Sometimes we'll see language on a bond form that says the surety shall indemnify and save harmless the contractors and the contractor's surety. So in other words, the the subcontractors bonding company is gonna to have to pay all the bills across the board you know indemnify the general contractor including their surety and that becomes a very pricey thing um
0: what, you know, what, what you know. it seems like sean is that the key is um you don't get what you don't ask for and if you think that you can't ask which is what the contractor wants to um is the impression the contractor wants to create in your mind then you'll never ask. But number Correct. one, which is why we do this podcast to, is for folks to be informed. And two is for here to hear from experts like yourself that you have more power than you think you do and that you should be asking for changes. Um, right.
1: Yeah. And use your bonding company. You know, it's sometimes it's difficult for a general contractor to negotiate specific language in their subcontract agreement because they're not well-versed on that. I mean, a plumber knows plumbing, right? A plumber might not understand consequential damages. So that's why legal counsel and your surety, lean on your attorney, lean on your construction attorney, lean on your bond agent, and trust them to guide you. Because trust me, that general contractor ain't out to protect the subcontractor. The only people that are going to protect the subcontractor is their attorney and their bonding company. They're on the same team. There are general contractors out there that will bust up subcontractors without even thinking twice about it. Uh, These general contractors, unfortunately, want the subcontractors to finance the work for 90, 120 days before they get paid and at the same time uh, leveraging their bonding. Look, all we really wanna do is guarantee the contractor will do the work on time and pay their people. We cannot guarantee the sun will rise the next day. We cannot guarantee that the contractor will keep their insurance in place. We cannot guarantee uh, consequential damages. There are certain things we cannot guarantee. Unfortunately, there are some general contractors out there and public owners who are trying to get our bond to do things that's not designed to do. So we have the Florida Surety Association. They're our political watchdog. They're always fighting the battles for us. Uh, Specific example, uh, the city of Coral Springs right now has consequential damages in their bond form. The Florida Surety Association was made aware of it. They sent a letter uh, to the city to make them aware their, their bond form is not statutory language. And it went through their legal counsel and the city of Coral Springs decided to keep consequential damages on their form. So look, we've seen this before. I, You go back dozens and dozens of years. We've seen it with City of Boca, City of Homestead, uh, and, and several others. And over time, whether it's six months, whether it's a year, eventually the municipality will make the concession and eventually they will change the bond form. It, it always happens, whether it is a new city attorney, uh, new uh, public, uh, you know, a turnover in the public regime, the management regime. Sooner or later, someone's going to look at that bond form and say, wait a minute, this is not right. This is hurting us. We need to remove this. So we've seen yeah, what, what,
0: what it goes back to one of the things you said, which is the idea that at some point there's going to be fewer and fewer bidders on these projects. And they realize that they're not getting competitive prices because there's not enough people bidding, and that and they exactly and they right. come to realize that the reason is the bond
1: form. Correct, and that ultimately hurts the taxpayers, because if the taxpayers are paying to build a new school or a new library uh, or a new waste management facility, whatever it is, you know, if if you only have three bidders bidding it, the pricing is going to be higher. If you have ten bidders bidding it it's going to be more competitive. So the performance and payment bond protects the taxpayers. And I think that's what a lot of people lose sight of. And you have these uh, municipalities and these city attorneys drafting language that they believe is in the best interest of the city, but long term ends up hurting them. And we've seen it time and time again. And the Florida Association goes to battle with these guys time and time again. And it takes time. Either the regime change or a new attorney comes in and, and they will make the concession. But, but what we tell so our contractors is to stay away from them.
0: So this is a perfect place to uh, wrap it up, Sean. Very useful information um, for everybody. If folks wanted to get a hold of you, Sean, what's the best way to do it?
1: Uh, phone number, real simple 954 817 3515. I'll repeat that 954 817 3515, Sean Burton. Surety Bond Specialist, Nielsen Hoover Associates, Miami Lakes, Florida. Be more than happy to uh, get you out of bond kit, answer any questions you have about bonding. And our job is to you know not only provide performance and payment bonds for our contractors. Yeah, that's how we generate income and make a living. But really what we do is we establish and maintain long-term relationships with our clients and protect our clients from all the perils that exist out there in the commercial construction world of South Florida.
0: There are a lot of people around with sharp elbows, right, Sean? Our clients need as much protection as they can get.
1: No kidding. Be aware of bad bond forms are out there. Yeah, the contract language is important. The bond form language is important. Have us review it before you even go near it. Uh, Have your attorney review it. Make sure you're working with owners and general contractors that have fair subcontract language and fair bond forms.
0: I appreciate all the time you spent with us, Sean. Um, I'll put more of your contact information in the show notes. Um, Until next time, everybody, thanks for listening and uh, have a great day.